a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. The reason is because you don't have the sacraments. I mean, once you don't have the sacraments, then basically everybody's a pastor. Because that's what a pastor is, the guy that's there to preach the gospel and minister the sacraments. Once the sacraments cease to mean anything in your theological construct, then ministry becomes something different than the giving out of God's gift of forgiveness. The reason why we go to church is not to hear about how we have to go out and, and be missionalists. The reason we go to church is to get the forgiveness of our sins. That's why Jesus instituted the church. And I think that's the point. See, when a pastor considers this option of, hmm, maybe I'll substitute these parts of the liturgy, the the question before him should not be, will it win more people over? The question before them should be, would this deliver Christ in a better way than it already does? And the parts of the liturgy are direct quotes from Holy Scripture. And I don't think that you can improve upon the delivery of Christ uh, from them. I mean, just imagine the next radical that shall be even more radical. This will be the book that I'm going to write. Even more radical. What part of cutting off your hand is unclear in the Bible? (laughs) If you still have two hands, you show yourself to be a false disciple of Jesus. Welcome to Table Talk Radio. You know, I was thinking during that that, that intro that uh, this is the the most number of people you've had on Table Talk Radio any given time. We One, are definitely two, uh, outnumbering the number of listeners at this four, at this present time. Five people. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> All right, so let me go through the introductions. Um, on the line for Iron Preacher today, the contestant versus Pastor Wolfmuller is Pastor Eric Lang. He's Pastor Redeemer Lutheran Church in Gresham, Oregon. Welcome, Eric. Hey, good to be with you. Uh, and also Dr. Carl Fikincher, he's professor of homiletics at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome back, Dr. Fikincher. Great to be back, Evan. Thank you very much. And then, uh, I forget your vicar's name. Do, do Matthew Vic- Dulos. Do, 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 <laughs> do vicars even have names? We just call them vicar. Vicar. <laughs> hey, vicar. Hello. I'm well, insulted. <laughs> well, welcome back, uh, vicar Dulos. <laughs> All right, so uh, this is Iron Preacher, so we have uh, a text, and our preachers are going to get at it. So for the sake of time, let me get right to the text. Uh, this is, and, and the preachers can start preparing their sermon right away, uh, this is Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. The text reads like this, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him, saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and uh, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Ne- uh, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That is the text. So preachers, go ahead and get working on your sermon. Uh, in the meantime, we have the delight of talking to uh, Dr. Carl Fikincher, 
uh, professor of homiletics at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Now, uh, Dr. Rickenter, my uh, first question for you is uh, uh, what separates uh, preaching from any other activity like teaching in Bible class or something like that? I was talking to one of my uh, parishioners here who is a school teacher, and we were talking about you know, different ways of, of, of holding one's attention. Um, but I started to think that there is something fundamentally different uh, versus teaching a Bible class or, or uh, giving a lecture versus the art of preaching. What is that difference? Well, there's much to be said about that. There, there are many things that are similar, many things that are different. The, the focus primarily is on this question of didache versus kerygma. Didache, uh, referring to teaching, kerygma, uh, which we use when we speak of preaching, is really best understood as proclamation. When we think about preaching, we're doing something which is much more than a cognitive task. It's not just giving information. Now, teaching is, at its best, much more than that as well. But teaching has, as a, a major characteristic, perhaps the most prominent characteristic, imparting information, valuable information, and certainly when it's teaching a Bible class, it's eternally valuable information. On the other hand, though, proclamation is really about taking that same word and not talking about it, giving background about it, uh, explaining what's going on, but actually do the thing that's going on. That is, really apply that message live and in person to the people gathered around at this very moment. Now, obviously, uh, proclamation also requires information. And in giving information, in teaching, there's the opportunity to proclaim as well. Uh, in preaching, for example, a, a preacher will want to give the necessary background of the text. He'll want to explain the language of the text, sometimes even explain the original language of the text and what's going on there. Uh, he'll want to recreate uh, the historical setting in which the first uh, hearers of Jesus or readers of St. Paul would have uh, found themselves as they received that message. But then he's going to want to take that message and make it happen live and in person for his hearers in, in 2012 as well. Proclamation really means taking the message and applying it to the, to the hearers live and in person. And that, of course, is where we, we speak about law and gospel. And when we talk about law and gospel, we're always talking about how God's Word right now really does compel us to obedience, shows us our disobedience, and the gospel right now imparts to us the forgiveness of our sins. Uh, the, Vicar, do you have a question for Dr. Fikensher? Actually, I do. It, it came up this year, uh, actually this summer, uh, talking with Pastor Wolfmuller. My question is, when you have a selection of texts um, between the old epistle and new, and it's the Matins, and you can preach whichever text you want, how should you f follow which one to uh, preach? Should you go from your own gut and what kind of moves you, or should you go from the line of what do you think would be best for your congregation to hear? Which uh, there would be better to uh, do? Uh, yeah, there, there are a variety of good answers to that question, too. I've known preachers who were as disciplined as to say, uh, we have a three-year lectionary that involves three lessons, an Old Testament lesson, an epistle, and a gospel for each of those Sundays. Uh, and uh, I've known men who will say, I'm going to preach on... Uh, all of those singly over nine years. For example, uh, one year, uh, what we call year A, they may preach all the gospel lessons, all the gospels from that, uh, uh, that whole year in Matthew. And the next year, year B, they may preach all the epistle lessons, 
in the following year, year C, all the Old Testament lessons. And they come back to year A and preach all the year A epistles, and so on. So over nine years, they would be able to look uh, six and a half years down the line and say, I know exactly which text I'm going to be preaching. And there is certain value in that, there really is, because that's a good way to proclaim the full counsel of God, which, of course, we're called to do. Uh, and the lectionary is designed to give you that breadth of, of coverage in the Holy Scriptures. Uh, other preachers uh, uh, discipline themselves in different ways. Some say they'll only preach the gospel of the day uh, every Sunday, and that's uh, just as, as uh, defined, uh, and, and obviously does not cover the same breadth, but, but gives you again the, the uh, lesson that is ultimately always the focus for all the three lessons of, of the Sunday. But then, I think more preachers really are inclined to do what you have hinted at there. And that is to say, I'm going to be a disciplined preacher. I'm going to seek to give the full counsel of God by, for the most part, limiting myself to the lectionary. But I'm going to look at the three lessons that are available each Sunday and try to decide which one of those might be uh, specifically relevant. Then the next question you've also raised, is it relevance to me or relevance to my congregation? Uh, and I think there, there's not a right or wrong answer on that either uh, for this reason. A preacher obviously is never in it for himself. He's always in it to proclaim to the congregation. But the texts that grab him for some reason probably have significance also for members of the congregation as well. Uh, no text is going to be the text that just for some unique reason hits everybody's switches uh, in a particular week. And yet every text is relevant to everyone every week because it truly is God's Word, and every text gives us the opportunity to proclaim Christ. So I think a preacher, uh, when he looks at those three lessons, and this is, I think, the most common approach, and, and says, which of those three lessons assigned for, the, assigned for the day will I choose, probably does uh, uh, have a certain attraction to something that, that, that grabs him. At the same time, he really does want to be aware of uh, the situation in the congregation. He, he wants to be visiting his members very, very faithfully, very regularly. He wants to be chatting with them on Sunday uh, as he looks ahead to the following Sunday. And with those kinds of uh, experiences already in mind, the conversations that he's been having in recent days and recent weeks with his members, that contributes significantly also to which text of those three in the lectionary might be particularly attractive to him. I really don't think there's a right or wrong answer to your question. I think there's a lot of uh, a latitude that is given, but the idea certainly is to preach the full counsel of God over time and to seek to apply whichever lesson is chosen to the congregation uh, at this particular week. And that always means giving them Christ as this text specifically proclaims Christ. Well, let's see if our preachers today will do that with uh, Luke chapter 18. It's time for our first commercial break here on Table Talk Radio. When we get back, uh, we're going to be hearing a five-minute sermon from Pastor Eric Ling, Redeemer Lutheran Church in Gresham, Oregon. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. We'll be right back right after this. Thank God for the preacher who told me I'm Jesus for I'd be a if not for His grace, Lord, help me show 
You're listening to Table Talk Radio, because cable's expensive. The bear marched out in the middle of the road, right up to the preacher, you see. The preacher got so excited that he climbed up a cement tree. The bear sat down upon the ground, the preacher climbed out on a limb. Cast his eyes to the Lord in the skies, and these words he said to him. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. We are playing Iron Preacher. And before, uh, I don't know, I got that off of your uh, your uh, home album there. Sorry about that, Pastor Wolf Miller. Uh, we are playing Iron Preacher, and the text before us is Luke chapter 18, 1 through 8. It's the, the text of the, the angry judge. And uh, first for our consideration on Iron Preacher is Pastor Eric Lang. He's Pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Gresham, Oregon. Pastor Lang, whenever you're ready, five minutes. Okay. <clears throat> well, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. What kind of God do we have? The parable of the persistent widow or the angry judge, uh, I think, presents us with the sort of God that we have. Uh, the t- Jesus begins by telling, or Luke begins by telling us that Jesus says this parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Uh, in his discussion of it, he talks about a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men, and about a widow who, in that town, who kept coming to him with a plea to grant her justice against her adversary. He goes on and tells us that for some time the judge refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. The uh, text uh, here that Jesus mentions, I would argue, is an argument from the lesser to the greater. Uh, You see the unjust judge who does not care about men. We have a God, though, who cares about us deeply. In fact, Jesus' whole mission shows God's care for us. He came into the world uh, not only just to teach, but most importantly, to lay down his life for us sinners to pay for our sins on the cross of Calvary. When we are confronted with this text, Jesus is reminding us that we know the kind of God we have that we're praying to. uh, This is not an effort to uh, cause us to think uh, we need to pray more, uh, more regimented or do a better job. This is not meaning something to be uh, more active in your prayer life, although that's not a bad thing. But it's, it's the point of the not giving up is you know who you pray to. You can pray in confidence that the Lord hears you, and he is not an unjust judge, but that he wants to uh, grant to us uh, what we need and, most importantly, justice. And justice, I think, here refers to the final victory. Uh, we pray to this God because we know we have the final victory in Christ Jesus. We can come with all of our petitions, uh, knowing that they are relevant to him and that he cares about us. His Son paid for our sins. We pray because the kind of God we have is redeemed sinners, even those who don't pray regularly. Indeed, the greatest cause for us to bring our petitions to our Lord is knowing what kind of God it is we have. May you know that God through the grace of Jesus Christ that has been presented to us in this text and throughout God's Word. Amen. Amen. All right, thank you, Pastor Lang. Now, I don't I don't know how long it's been since you've had a, a, a grade for one of your sermons, probably since the <laughs> seminary days. 
but we're going to give it to Dr. Frekensher for his critique. So, Dr. Frekensher. Well, I don't give grades to graduates, but if I did, it would be a fine one. Uh, two things in Pastor Lang's sermon that I, I, I really appreciate. Uh, first of all, uh, the understanding of the text, I think, is right on the money. This text is very easily misused uh, to be a text that is about praying more persistently. Essentially, you see the widow, she prays persistently, we should pray more persistently, too. What that has done, of course, is take this text and make it a law text primarily about what we should do. That, I think, is a, a serious misunderstanding of the text, and, and Pastor Lang uh, very ably avoided that by instead recognizing that this text is about how gracious God is, how God is eager to hear our prayers. That's a wonderful reason to pray persistently. We know as, he, as we pray, he hears. But it's his hearing, his eagerness to hear, and grant all of our, our petitions in the very best way, in the very best time, that is the motivation. We're not motivated to pray by simply being told, be more persistent. So I think, first of all, uh, Pastor Lang's sermon really does capture the thrust of the text with the gospel clearly predominating and avoiding a law-predominant sermon. The second thing that Pastor Lang did that I appreciated immensely was to form from the outset and, and carry through to the end what I call a, a very good, solid mental matrix. I won't explain everything about that one now, but my, uh, my former students and those who are vicars these days know exactly what that's about. <laughs> the mental matrix is saying that you're enabling your hearers to understand a, a sort of a framework into which everything that follows in the sermon can be assimilated. Pastor Lang began by asking the question, what kind of God do we have? That really formed a nice theme for this sermon. It was a question which caused us to, to desire an answer, to look for an answer, but also to expect an answer, to expect that what Pastor Lang would do in the subsequent four and a half minutes would address, answer that question. And he was very faithful to that. He gave us a set of expectations, a mental matrix, which he then stayed in all the way to the end when he explained to us the kind of God we have we do know. We know that he is gracious for the sake of his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to reinforce, to repair, to restore the relationship in which we can come to God with our prayers and know that our sins are no longer standing in the way. So by giving us a clear expectation of where the sermon would go, not giving away the entire store, but giving us an expectation of the general direction, and ultimately answering that question, he enabled us as hearers to stay with him, to be comfortable with his progress, and to understand how it was all coming to conclusion in a meaningful way. That's a very strong sermon, solid content in the, in the, the gospel predominating over the law and beautifully arranged with a solid mental matrix. All right, I have a question for the vicar. <laughs> vicar. Uh-oh. Uh, vicar, <laughs> when, uh, when uh, Dr. Frekensher said that Pastor Ling's uh, interpretation of the text was spot on, did Pastor Wolfner crumple up his paper at that point? Uh, he actually took out his lighter and burned it. <laughs> Uh-oh. This is not oh. good then for... <laughs> hey. A, it's like having a, uh, you know, a proctor for the exam. <laughs> How many sermons have you preached there, Vicar? Uh, two? Two? Well, no, one one here, but I've preached one in Boulder and one at Redeemer. So I've preached three sermons. Over, well, actually four, one at St. Luke's, so four this summer. Oh, so people are yeah, outsourcing to you. And a couple on you, Tuesday huh? morning. 
Yeah, we're sending him away. I, it's hard <laughs> when he's gone, though. There's always a vicar-shaped hole in my heart. <laughs> I have to have people take notes from the insults so they have lists when he gets back. I was I was told when I'm at seminary, uh, I'll be getting emails uh, repeatedly saying, oh, well, this is what Pastor said about you today. <laughs> oh, Evan's so happy about that because someone's taking your place. Yeah, man. I I can finally uh, end that filter on my email alert. Just, I'll, I'll just kind of go in there. <laughs> All right. Well, after this next commercial break, we're going to see uh, what Pastor Wolfmiller does with the text of uh, Matthew 18 of uh, the, the angry judge. Uh, and how then it compares to the sermon of, of Pastor Ling. Uh, so that is forthcoming here after this next commercial break. We do have a quick announcement that um, that Lumpy, we, Lumpy was promised to be on the show uh, this week, but Lumpy is still on the job. He's doing a little research on the difference between the Lutheran view and the Calvinist view of Samuel at Bacotter. Is that right? Is, have you seen True. him around there at the church? No, is he, no. I haven't, so I was hoping to meet him. Neither seen him nor smelled him. He's a... He's, uh, <laughs> He's probably got his nose deep in the books. Okay, so we, we, we are promised some great things next week. The difference between the Lutherans and the Calvinists on Samuel Usaset Picotter. All right, you're listening to Table Talk Radio. Uh, after this commercial break, we'll hear from uh, Pastor Brian Wolf, Wolfmuller on the text, uh, <laughs> Luke 18. It's like I'm a guest and you're mispronouncing my name. <laughs> we've been doing this for, what, seven years or something? I'm just, I'm just planning to get rid of you so we can move on and have, your, have our new guest, the vicar. <laughs> so, all right, uh, that's that's coming up. Uh, check out our website, tabletalkradio.org. You can check out our past shows and also some articles we've written there on the website too. Tabletalkradio.org is the address. We'll be right back. How many Table Talk Radio listeners does it take to change a light bulb? You'll probably have to settle for one. It's time for Table Talk Radio's Iron Preacher. Straight from the pulpit of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado, the Iron Preacher himself, Brian Wolfmuller. Now, Pastor Wolfmuller, how much did you have to pay the uh, voiceover guy to do that introduction for you? I don't know. That's awesome. <laughs> now, I, I understand know. that that's the opening hymn at your church every week? No, no, the sermon hymn. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you have the, the, the vicar pull out the spotlight and you know, waving it around. Oh, brother. Three or four of them, you know, just kind of on the roof. The smoke machine comes up. Oh. We turn the eject button on the pulpit into the r- little rising platform. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Smoke under the orb. Oh, man. All right. Well, let's see if your preaching can match the uh, the performance there. Uh, whenever you're ready, uh, Pastor Wolfmuller on Luke 18. In the name of Jesus, amen. Jesus uh, taught them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. We pray, uh, dear friends, because we lack. We pray because we need. We pray 
because we're dying. We pray not because we have, but because we stand in fantastic lack. God doesn't need our prayers. We need the help that he has to give. And which is why Jesus, when he talks about prayer, uses the example of a widow or of a child. As someone who stands before God, not as equals, but as someone who is poor, someone who is in needy, someone who has a fantastic lack of the things that are needed in this life and in the life to come. We are beggars. That's what it means to pray, to beg, to petition the Lord for the things that we need, for the things that we lack, and for the things that he wants to give. When Luther says with the last scrap that uh, his last words with a scrap in the pocket that we are beggars this is true he's not he's not just talking about uh, our whole Christian life he he's specifically talking about our faith and our praying that we look to God for the things that we need so Jesus in the text uh, tells us the uh, tells us the parable of the widow and the judge this uh, like pastor Lang said is a, a parable that moves from the lesser to the greater. If the judge would hear the widow, how much more will God hear us? If the judge will take up the widow's case, how much more will the righteous God take up our case? If this judge will give time to this widow who deserves nothing, how much more will God give to us all that we need in this life and in the life to come? And so we pray. We pray not because God needs our prayers, but because we need God's help, and he gives it. One of the worst fears that we have as sinners is that God is even worse than the fact that God wouldn't answer our prayers, is the fear that God wouldn't hear our prayers. But he does. He does because he's called us his children. He hears our prayers because he's called us his friends. God, our Father in heaven, hears our prayers because of Jesus, who died and who rose and who now sits at the right hand of the Father and who prays for us. And Jesus, in his praying, never grows impatient. Jesus, in his praying, never loses heart. Jesus never grows weary of pleading for you, and his pleading is not his poverty but his blood. His pleading is the riches of his death and his resurrection. His prayers for you come out of his death, come out of his sacrifice, and come out of his love. So the hearing of the Father of our prayers and the, and the praying of the Son for us is in the end our hope and our peace and by these we do not lose heart. Amen. Amen. All right, Dr. Frickensher, your critique of Pastor Wolf Miller's sermon. Also a fine message that also uh, uh, cut the thrust of the text, the, the lesser to the greater, where the, the uh, judge who is uh, questionable in every way uh, eventually grants the petition, how much more will God give to us? Certainly he is eager to hear our prayers and gracious uh, to give them to us. I like very much the imagery of the beggar from the beginning, the, the opening observation, we pray because we lack, not because we have. We pray for all the things that we need uh, that uh, God wishes to give us. And, of course, that uh, is, is very nicely developed, as Pastor Wolf Mueller said, in Jesus choosing to use a widow as the petitioner in the prayer. Um, 
we, uh, uh, the great fear that to God would not hear us certainly is a, a, real, a real fear that uh, Christians experience, and we are answered, or that fear is answered by the fact that he calls us children, and that uh, because of Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus now intercedes for us. Uh, Jesus never grows weary. Uh, Jesus uh, uh, gives to us from the great that he has, from the riches of his death, and that is our hope and our peace. That ultimately also gives a gospel-predominant sermon, as Pastor Lang gave earlier. I would say the uh, one point of comparison between the two sermons is that uh, Pastor Lang's sermon actually probably uh, was an easier sermon to follow in terms of the organization. Uh, The mental matrix, the term that I used before, was clear from the beginning. Uh, The imagery of being a beggar, uh, of praying from lack, that was established early, but that didn't actually give us uh, an indication of where the gospel would actually come, except perhaps when uh, Pastor Wolfmuller mentioned Christ giving from his riches, the riches of his death, as a counterpart uh, to our lack. I did not think that Pastor Wolfmuller's sermon was quite as easy uh, to see in progression although it uh, began with solid law, our lack, our poverty, uh, and moved to the, uh, the gospel answer of Christ's riches given to us in the cross. It ended with the assurance uh, of hope and peace, uh, of certainty in the answer to our prayer, so also uh, a solid resolution of the sermon and a solid treatment of the text. Um, is it time to render a judgment? Well, I have a question before you do. Um, <laughs> Please ask. The, the, the fact that uh, Pastor Wolfmuller quoted his opponent in his sermon, would, would that tip the scale towards the opponent? Well, I mean, you know, as a matter of fact, it, it's uh, excellent you should mention that, Evan. I didn't know if that was kosher for me to bring out or not. Now, I, I, I could have mentioned that he gets additional points for, for quoting Luther. That, that, that's very big. And it's not as if Pastor Lang is, is a, an inferior source. But there is this issue of the guy going second, uh, making clear that he actually is kind of uh, drafting off the, the previous oh, now, As soon as Pastor Lang said that, I showed the vicar, I said, look, I had the same thing. Great. I huh. cannot lie. It yeah, is there. It's true. I got verification on this thing. Here. Oh, well, I, I, I believe that he's not cheating per se, but the words <laughs> as they're chosen, uh, live and in person, if they have, in fact, been instructed by the previous, that that's... Uh, I, I'd say that's a significant help for the Iron Preacher. Yeah, and I'm not sure we can well, trust... Whatever happened to soundproof booth there, Evan? Yes, we need to, we need <laughs> to do Now, is, is, is this where the proctor should have had his supervisor locked up somewhere safe and secure? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I didn't want to cut the vicar off of the feed. We should have sent, you know, uh, sent him in, in the vicar's office and shut the door for a while or something. <laughs> there you go. Uh, all right. Well, please, uh, Dr. Fikincher, please render your verdict. Both solid law gospel sermons... Uh, I'm always amazed, to be very honest, at the quality of sermons that come out in in five-minute sermons after eight or ten minutes of preparation. And and that has been consistently uh, true of the Iron Preacher program all the times that I've judged it. Uh, uh, Seldom a clunker, certainly no clunker today. Both solid sermons, uh, grasping the text properly, proclaiming Christ as the reason that God is eager to answer our prayers and, and therefore assuring us that we have a gracious God who does provide all our needs. And, and when that has been proclaimed from this text, the congregation has been well-fed. I would say, on the basis of uh, an organization that was easier to follow, 
in the, the first sermon that uh, this week's winner is the challenger, Pastor Eric Lang. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you should All see right. the vicar uh, dancing for joy over here. <laughs> Settle down, vicar. You're next. <laughs> I take that challenge. <laughs> Everyone heard it. He challenged me. Yeah. Oh. Congratulations, Pastor Lang. Wow, that, that, I'm thinking maybe you're just nice to the first-time callers. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, actually, Pastor Lang, I would say it's quite the opposite. But by this time, uh, having uh, done my best to be objective every time, I, I'm wondering if eventually the Iron Preacher is going to call for a, another judge who uh, is a little more slanted <laughs> in favor of the host. Yeah, I think so. Well, I and know. and it's true that uh, what what Dr. Frickinch said about the seldom clunker. I think the last one was when I was uh, preaching. Was that the last clunker that we <laughs> yeah, came I across? Yeah, I remember that. I uh, remember I, that. Probably no clunkers actually. <laughs> not, not being able to remember very, very every one without exception. I, I, I hedge, but uh, I, I think, think there's only been, been one clunker. I don't know. Who now, was that? now I, I think it'd one. be interesting to see. <laughs> if uh, if we have a vicar versus a vicar, if the same if the su- you know corresponding supervisor would win out, you know here. Hey, there you go. That'd be interesting. All right. Well, uh, Dr. Frickenshaw, we thank you so much for your service and your faithfulness uh, in, in being a, a, a judge here on uh, Table Talk Radio for Iron Preacher, and uh, we wish you the best there at the seminary as you embark on another another year. Always a delight, Evan. Thank you so much. Okay. After this commercial break, we're going to uh, spend some time talking with Pastor Lang. Uh, there at uh, the the winner of Iron Preacher today, uh, there at Redeemer Lutheran Church, uh, we're going to talk about the, a reading uh, of Acts and at the church, um, living living under Caesar while yet still living um, countercultural in this world. So that'll be the topic of the next segment uh, here with uh, Pastor Eric Ling. Uh, I have a I have an announcement too uh, after this break about uh, an upcoming table scraps you can check out. Uh, so this will will be right back on Table Talk Radio. Don't go away. Was the son of a preacher man, the only boy who could ever teach me. Was the son of a preacher man, yes he was, he was, he was. Table Talk Radio, disappointing listeners since 2008. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Uh, I, I promised a uh, announcement about table scraps before the break. Um, you know, we have a couple a couple files that are in kind of the the Table Talk Radio vault. Uh, interviews that we have done that have never made it to the air. Um, and uh, I'm, I think I'm going to pull some of these out. You know, do you remember this, Pastor Wolfman? Like almost two years ago now. Uh, we were doing this little project where we were, we were interviewing uh, praise songwriters. Yes. And uh, we did this uh, interview. I think we'll release the one with uh, Jamie Lee Riddle first. Okay. And uh, and so I'm going to put this on table scraps about when this this airs. And so people can listen to your interview with, with Jamie Lee Riddle. She, she wrote a, a couple uh, praise songs. I think the Revelation song was one. Um, and I think that what was the project there that you're just trying to find out what was important or what's on people's minds as they write praise songs? Is that it? Right. Right. Yeah. Now, um, really, what's fascinating from that interview was what happened off the air. Um, if you remember, oh, yeah. that's she, right. I do remember that. That was something. Yeah. So she, uh, if if I can just um, take just a second to to say, after we got done in, uh, inter- with the interview, we you know hit, hit stop and 
and we started talking about how these praise songs come about. You know, and, and when we look at through the hymnody, you look at some of these Paul Gerhart hymns, and and they're coming out of you know deep anguish and pastoral care, and, and Gerhart's writing these these wonderful hymns of of uh, believing and confessing the cross and all this. Um, but she said that a lot of times when some of these praise song writers want to release an album, all these writers in Nashville get together and they they look at what have what what they like, what has sold for them in the past, and they all write these songs and they try to sell it to the to the performer. And if they like it, they're going to buy it. And then these are the songs that end up making it to our churches for the praise songs. And this is from the the mouth of a praise songwriter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. that was really really interesting. So that'll be on uh, Table Scraps. Check it out at tabletalkradio.org. For the remainder of the program, we'll be talking with uh, Pastor Eric Lang, winner of today's edition of Iron Preacher and pastor of uh, Redeemer Lutheran Church in Gresham, Oregon. Now, uh, uh, Pastor Lang, we were talking uh, yesterday about this article you're, you're reading in Interpretation um, about uh, the book of Acts and uh, and, and how the uh, uh, talks about ecclesiology and, and the, the function of the church today. Uh, what's this article all about? Yeah, before before we go there, I, I just want to comment about the Iron Preacher one thing. Uh, I I do have a concern. Um, I'm I'm worried that it, some of my members of my congregation may have actually listened to this program, and oh. <laughs> uh, if that's the case, uh, my whenever anybody asks me from my congregation, hey pastor, how long does it take for you to write a sermon? And I always say, <laughs> well, there's a reason they call it the sermon hymn. <laughs> And they may now, but they might right. believe that now. So I'm, I'm just kind of concerned about that. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, I, I think it, you don't necessarily need to worry about people actually listening. So yeah, that's that's not really a concern at all. <laughs> okay. So, th- so we got that clear. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Uh, Evan had asked me about uh, you know talk about something I've been reading or doing or whatever, and I just said, well, I just got my recent article, a uh, recent uh, copy of the Interpretation of Journal of Bible and Theology, and it was on the Book of Acts, and there's an excellent article in here by C. Cavan Rowe, who's from Duke Divinity School, and it is entitled The Ecclesiology of Acts. Uh, and what's uh, probably, uh, well, I, he does a very thorough job of, of looking at uh, three particular instances in the Book of Acts to, to kind of hone the discussion. And uh, he looks at Acts 19, which is uh, the uh, riot in Ephesus, um, where um, Demetrius uh, calls uh, the crowd together to attack Paul and his comrades because uh, what Paul is teaching is going to uh, ultimately bring to an end the Temple of Artemis, uh, which was a big, huge economic social part of Ephesus and uh, the culture of the day. And then he looks at uh, Paul on trial in Acts 25 to 26, and then the last thing he looks at is uh, Acts 17. That's the account of um, when uh, they are accused of saying there's another king worshiping another, or uh, having another king, uh, Jesus, rather than, than Caesar being against the decrees of Caesar and the whole question of this idea of another king. Um, what what was up to me probably the most uh, um, why I, why I really like the article was uh, it really does a nice job and he makes this point throughout of kind of living with the tension of um, what I like to call if anybody's if anybody's been around me long enough they know I like to talk about that there's in scripture so oftentimes two truths 
two things that uh, the scripture say that we must confess, and we're not always sure how those two things work out. Or, um, you know, for example, uh, God is three, God is one. Uh, Jesus is God, Jesus is man. Um, God knows all things, going back to our text for the gospel, uh, and yet God tells us to pray. Uh, and so this, he does a nice job of the, of the tension, I think you can see in the book of Acts, of um, is, is Christianity a threat to Rome? And then he plays from that, discusses kind of um, how, 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 would, how we today, while we are in a very similar situation, uh, be able to really uh, gain from studying the book of Acts and, and seeing how things are done there. I think that leads me to my uh, next question, because um, it's nice when we get these journals and we, we get a... Um, uh, we get the benefit of, of reading this r- research that the author has done for us. Um, how do you, uh, Pastor Lang, as as a pastor, um, take uh, what is is written here in this article, and how would this be um, relevant, or how would this how would this be uh, transformed into pastoral care? How would this uh, uh, inform the saints uh, that you tend to there? at uh, Redeemer Lutheran Church. How does this inform the Christian lives of, of, of the souls there? Well, I think uh, because they're going to be dealing with this um, in many ways, shapes, and forms, the issue of the Christian's relationship to the world around him. Um, so, for example, I got in my mail today the seven-day Adventist journal, and I'm, and it, this comes, I, probably, I think it might come to all clergy, but and I'm sure our lay people get it too. This magazine Liberty, are you familiar with it? I'm not. It's a, call, it's a magazine either. of religious freedom and, and basically very strongly promoting a clear separation of church and state. Um, we're going to see this, I think, in issues of, of the politics of our time. Um, you know, one of the candidates is a Mormon. Um, <laughs> You know what? What? How do? How do I, as a Christian, do I evaluate? Is that? Does that play no role? Does it play any? Should it play some role? Is it? Is it the overarching role? You know. Um, so I, I think you know in in our lives as Christians in our daily walk, this this becomes important. Hmm. I was giving you a break so you could jump in there, Pastor Wolf Miller. Yeah. I'm I'm checking Facebook here. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, per, per, oh, oh, Pastor Lang, are you against Facebook like all the other guests that Evan has on our show? Am I against it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I'm not against it. Am I on it? No. <laughs> That's what's important. This is, by the way, this is a great two truths thing, right? <laughs> no, uh, Pastor uh, Lang, how, provide provide some answers to some of those questions you pose. I know I know they're all tough ones, but um, how does a Christian uh, who um, uh, lives in this world where we're subject to the government, though we see the government doing things that we would uh, disagree with? You know, one, one that comes up in my own congregation from time to time um, is that uh, we are to render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and so we are right. to, to pay taxes, yet um, we're bothered by the fact that uh, our government uses those tax dollars to do something with, like, abortion. How is a Christian supposed to deal with that terrible tension? 
Yeah, and I think this is one of the things that he does a nice job with. I mean, he's not going to answer all these questions, but he does a nice job of showing the tension that... So, kind of getting us back to this article a little bit, he, he shows this tension of, on the one hand, it's very clear, he shows from these instances, that, um, that uh, Christianity is not promoting uh, stasis, stasis, um, uh, revolution, revolt, okay, against the government. <clears throat> on the other hand, uh, Christianity does have a cultural impact, does have an influence, uh, and so mm, the Temple of Artemis does ultimately, you know, fade away. And uh, um, just kind of a he, he he paints, and I think this is real helpful, and, and doesn't resolve the tension. But that's the point; it shouldn't resolve the tension. That you're not; it's not a thing of where we're. Um, full-blown, uh, involved in all kinds of political stuff like this. On the other hand, too, it's not the seven-day Adventist type of idea of we're just totally, you know, the church has nothing to say to the government, nothing to say to the state, or, or individual Christians have no participation. And I think the thing would be, you know, in the particular one you raised would be, you know, how do I as a Christian in the framework of, of my society, you know, promote... Um, well, the second table of law. Yeah. Um, which is written, by the way, in man's hearts. Right, yeah. Um, we, we've been, you know, we've dealing here in Aurora with uh, this um, this tragedy just of last weekend of the shooting, mm. and it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a stunningly, um, I mean, it's an incredible sort of thing. And, and what it shows, I mean, what it, what it puts on display is the uh, the wickedness that dwells in man's heart that's normally capped by the conscience and by reason and all of this sort of thing. Uh, but here's the strange thing for, that, that I'm still trying to wrap my head around, is that here's this fantastic on display, the depravity of man, and yet people will use it and they'll see in it not the depravity of man, but rather the evil of God. In other words, that uh, illusion that man is good uh, is just everywhere. You can't escape from it at all. Um, reflect on that a little bit, and maybe what Paul's doing to show you know, this kind of optimistic view of man that just about everyone in the ancient world had, what Paul preaches to undo that in the book of Acts. Wow, okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think that, uh, you know, in in... In this article, what he's trying to make the point is that, you know, that Christ is Lord of all. And so that, you know, that a, that a person is, that, that this is all-encompassing. It, it, it involves the total person, the whole person. Um, that's a total different viewpoint, I mean, than, than the world, like you're saying. I mean, it's a total different viewpoint from, of course, of our sinful flesh, too. Um, you know, we shouldn't be surprised that, that people, you know, are not, are not um, kind of getting it necessarily when it comes to things like this. I, I have a question for you. Though. So did, were, were people actually, I mean, people do say, why would God allow this? But do they not at all see, but this was a person who did this? Yeah, I was listening to the radio on the way into church this morning, and there was an interview of a of a man whose wife, or I think ex-wife, died, and he had to now tell his two children, who I think there were two girls, and one of them must be maybe preteen, and he has to tell them now that their mother has died. And 
And he said that his daughter heard that and said, I hate God for doing this. Hmm. I mean, well, this, but this, see, that's not, I guess that's not a response of unbelief, is it? No, which is, I mean, that's right. It's not. It's, I mean, it's a, it is the response of, um, it, it is putting this, uh, the kind of wickedness of this act in the context of a God who is and who's real. And so as far as that goes, it's, I mean, yeah, you, you could be a worse response. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, yeah. I, I'm afraid that's going to be about all the time we have, but, uh, th- pastor Lang, I do appreciate you coming on the program and, and sharing that with us and also for being our contestant for iron preacher. I sort of appreciate well, it. <laughs> <laughs> That, that was my honor. And again, I just uh, point out this, uh, if you want a good read, it, it's not long, it's short. It's Ecclesiology, Ecclesiology of Acts, C. Calvin Rowe, Interpretation, uh, July 2012. All right, and thanks for listening to Table Talk Radio. You've been listening to Table Talk Radio. The views expressed on this show are that of the hosts and do not reflect the views or opinions of this station. We would like your feedback on today's show. Call us toll-free, 1-800-385-SOLA. That's 1-800-385-SOLA. Or send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. You can listen again to this show or any of our past shows on our website, tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio.